1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: What a weird weekend that was. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Anne Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we are back to a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you and Nando's been since we last spoke?
2: Oh, well, you know, I've been good, Dan. I've kind of had better experiences ordering some food in a in a restaurant. But, um, you know, we're with the modern times. You've got to do it on an app. But please, Nando's, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, just please make sure your restaurants have got decent signal in them so that when you use a mobile phone, you get your chicken the day you order it, not two days later by the time the menu takes to load up. Other than that, Dan? tickety-boo for me mate.
0: Glad to hear Nando's you have been told. You're also joined by Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew I hope all is well. How have you been this past fortnight?
3: Yeah it's very good despite the fact that Fulham have only managed to pick up a one solitary point out of two games. Performances have been looking a lot better so I've been feeling a lot better so it's all good.
0: Glad to hear and of course last but not least is Palace fan Max. Max how are things with you mate?
4: Yeah, yeah, I'm really good, thanks. I'm I'm really pleased that we got uh, a point. Crystal Palace got a point out of the another pod derby, so I'm looking forward to talking about that.
0: Yes, hold those thoughts because we're going to get to that bit very very soon. So before we do, I'd best do the social media bits first. Otherwise, I'll be talking to the abyss once more. So first, if you get in touch with me, that's on Twitter at Stan Tracy 1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Spotify and Audio Boom. While well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? As Max has just mentioned, we had the second pod derby of the season. So apologies if you're listening and thinking, God, these he start with Spurs again? But it's fair to say we are the hottest ticket in town at the moment. With that said, Carl, we weren't quite box office on Sunday, were we?
2: No, especially not in the second 45. You know, I think the first half, you know, you had no complaints with the way we played. You know, I felt we were quite good. Um, We were kind of creating lots of spaces out wide for our full backs to push on. Um, And we, you know, the goalkeeper made some pretty good saves. And, you know, unfortunately, the one error he made resulting in Kane's goal, which I'm sure he'd be disappointed to let him from from where he was and the way he was playing. Um, but when we went in one up, you kind of felt, yeah, OK, we felt comfortable. Palace, I thought, would cause us a few problems. You know, it was clear to see that Eze and Sahar were, were getting a little bit of joy and we had to kind of keep a close eye on them. But we just, the second half, just did not come out at all um, and play any form of football. And, and this that has actually been creeping in over the last few performances. You know, Chelsea away, you know, first half, we kind of caused them a few problems. Second half, again, we just come out and sat back. Um, Arsenal, we did the same, you know, good first half, second half, just completely sat back. Um, And we did it again this weekend. And it was clear to see that, you know, the equaliser was coming. You know, you you could just tell the way the performance was going. Benteke was getting a lot of joy in the air from set pieces. And you just had that feeling something was coming. Um, and, And I was actually quite surprised that, you know, Jose didn't respond to that second half performance and make some subs much earlier than he did because there were certain players just not kind of producing anything. You know, Son was had a real off day, you know, second half non existent. Um Bergwein, you know, we've discussed on our Spurs pod that, you know, yes he's great putting the work in and tracking back and that, which we know Jose likes, but in some games we're gonna need an input going forward, which he doesn't seem to be providing. Um And it just seemed that it needed freshening up. And, you know, when you consider the sort of subs Jose's making in the Europa League matches, when he doesn't think certain players are putting in a shift and he's not afraid to hook them, even, like say, the week before, he made some subs when we'd just gone a goal up to try and indicate to certain players, you're not doing what I want, so I'm hauling you off. Um, It seems strange that he didn't, you know, see the need to do that on the weekend. And eventually we got punished. Um, And although, you know, a a draw isn't the worst result in the world and, you know, Palace will take points off of lots of teams at home, you just kind of felt we really should have been looking to push on and kind of, you know, what eventually would have turned out, create a little bit of a gap for ourselves at the top. But it wasn't to be. um, And we'll just have to hope that kind of, you know, that second half performance, Jose gets into them a little bit and we might see a reaction to that this week against Liverpool.
0: So, Max, of course, you're the second part of this podcast rivalry. You spoke about tough fixtures on the horizon when we last spoke a fortnight ago. If you play as you did, are those fears going to be a little more unfounded when you consider that performance on Sunday and the thrashing of West Brom the week before?
4: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, I don't want to read too much into the West Brom result because, you know, they, they had a player that sent off. and <laughs> Yeah. We were we were um, a little bit we were obviously helped by that, um, but I was really enthused by the performance against Spurs because you know I, I would have taken a draw before the game. Obviously, Spurs are flying high, top of the league, um, but it wasn't like a smash and grab draw. I think both managers said afterwards it was it was a pretty fair point. And yeah, of course, although Spurs would have the ambitions you know to want to win that, and they they'll see it as as, as two points dropped. Um, given the form that they're in and the kind of teams that they've beaten, um, I think it was definitely, definitely a deserved performance. And Spurs were definitely under par in the second half, for sure. But um, even though our goal was a little bit fortunate in that it was, uh, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Reese, in that it was a goalkeeper error, he kind of spilled it to Schlapp, who then scored. You know, obviously the goal Tottenham scored was like that as well. Um, And yeah, goodness me, what a a performance from, from Vicente Guaita. And I don't... I'm not annoyed at all about the, uh, the goal he conceded. It's just one of those things, you know, it was, a bit, it was a bit wet and windy at Selhurst Park. It obviously swerved in the air. He was probably a little bit slow to react, but then we saw the quality uh, that he has. You know, it's not like he made up for it in the next two or three weeks after that mistake. In the same game, he got back on track and he made two or three outstanding saves to keep Spurs out. Well, I was going to ask you the same kind of question, so I'll stick with you, Max, because in terms of
0: atoning for an error... He certainly did that. Yes, he was at fault for Tottenham's goal, but on another day, it's three four one to Tottenham. So you're sort of thinking, on balance, he's out. He's out sort of weighed himself really. So yes, it's a slight negative, but a much more positive from the Spaniard.
4: Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and he's really putting in the kind of performances that show we should be giving a new, him a new contract. Um, he is out of contract in the summer, and basically, obviously, as, as a as, as his contract is is running down um, from January, so in about two weeks' time, teams abroad can approach to sign him on a free transfer. So I'm really surprised we haven't sorted anything out because he's I think 33, so in the prime of his career. And yeah, as you say, he's got he's got a lot of quality. Last season, um, I don't know how much we want to read into expected goals, but basically he he prevented that. Him and Dean Henderson, I think Dubravka at Newcastle had the highest rates of saving. Uh, shots that were expected to be goals based on the quality of the shots and things like that and yeah he he turned it around really well from the Ndombele shot and the dire free kick and the Kane close range header you would expect him probably to concede one or maybe even two so for him to concede from none of them we can definitely forgive uh, his earlier mistake. So Matthew you're the neutral in this heated debate how did you view the encounter was it
0: a case of for Spurs, this was always going to happen after three very solid performances in those three big matches. A case of, I guess, after the Lord Mayor show, if you will.
3: Um, I think there's a little, I think there's a little bit of that. You know, as Carl mentioned, I think the way that Jose Mourinho has sort of managed the team selection, for instance, didn't quite help the fact that, because didn't Harry Kane play half an hour on the Thursday against yeah, Roy? Yeah. Yeah. When, let's be honest, not really needed. So, you know, fitness issues saw there. I think Jose could have handled the whole thing better and, you know, got players a lot, you know, Matt Sharper and Fitness and all that and all what have you. But at the same time, I think you you can just put it down to just one of those days, um, where where, you know, uh, the players' goalkeeper just wasn't gonna let anything pass him. I I've got similar vibes, but not quite the same as when uh West Ham went to Arsenal back in two thousand and seven and Rob Green saved like twenty shots on target or something like that. It was just one of those games where You just hold your hands up and say, we we couldn't have done anything more. Like the Eric Dyer free kick, he could not have put it in any better of a position. And it was just a fantastic save for the goalkeeper to come and get it. So Jose will probably be frustrated because it was probably a game that you'd think, you know, Spurs, especially given the gravitas of the situation, Liverpool playing a couple of hours later, a chance to... I think either go top or extend the lead. I forget exactly what the permutations were. You'd think that's very much a missed opportunity. But at the same time, there's only so much you know, that Spurs can do in that situation. And I don't want it to be just a Spurs thing. I think Crystal Palace did very well. Not just the goalkeeper himself, but the rest of the team in being able to keep the score you know to a respectable level to then go and uh, grab the equaliser later on. Well,
0: I was going to also ask you for your uh, Palace opinion because the fluid trio that is now emerging of Eze-Zahar... And Ben you know, they're somehow getting a tune out of Ben which really a few weeks ago you'd have never
3: imagined. Absolutely, and it's one of those. You know, I I talked a couple of weeks ago, and sort of when the winter no, not the winter, when the summer transfer was on, I thought that that line of uh, Eze, Saha, and uh, Ben Rama, if they were able to get that, um, would be a per- would be a perfect trio and arguably one of the best in the bottom halves of the division. Uh, they didn't get they didn't get Ben Rama in the end; he went to West Ham. But Ben is proving, you know to not be not be as good because I think Ben Rama will come very very well in the, in this division but Ben Teke's proving to be you know just as good and that perfect that front three probably I I'd even go as far as to say it's probably still the best front three of any of the you know bottom half of the table teams so Carl we spoke to Darren Anderson last night on the Coming and You Spurs podcast
0: one topic we didn't touch on though was Deli Ali a very small cameo only his third league showing of the season so what does that handful of minutes say to you is there still hope or is a low move in January, most likely?
2: I think it, it's, it seems reasonably clear, doesn't it? That there's, there's something going on possibly behind the scenes that we might not be aware of. Um, you know, we did see in the documentary, didn't we, last season that Jose called him out quite a few times on his kind of work ethic in training and stuff like that. Um, so... The fact that the limited minutes he's got, especially in the Europa League as well, when you consider that you would have thought he would be, you know, the the one player who plays ninety minutes in all those games, and that hasn't been the case um, in those games. So you do get the impression that there is an issue there. Um, I we've said before, haven't we, Dan? If you know a lone move would be ideal for me because. Yeah, given his age, you would like to think that Delhi has still got the ability to kind of get back to his best form. Uh, and suddenly then, you know, if he can get back to the player he was a couple of seasons ago, then you've got a great goal-scoring midfielder. Um, whether or not we're going to play the way that suits him right now is is to be seen. You know, you can't see from the current you know, format of how we're playing, where he kind of fits in there. Um, But I would like to think I wouldn't want to see him go just yet permanently because I do think we could still look back and go, oh, yeah, we let him go too soon. So if he can get a loan move, I think that's probably best. He gets to go and play some football somewhere else, get regular first team minutes, maybe play himself back into form. um, And then hopefully, you know, he could return refreshed, Um, and then suddenly has a future with the club still. But I don't think we'll truly know what's maybe going on behind the scenes until obviously he or maybe Jose leaves the club and then we might figure out a little bit more around what what the issue is, what's been stopping him um, playing. But I just think yeah you know he definitely needs minutes because you know given the way that he's been used this season it's hard to come on and do you know try and impress or do something in 15 minute 20 minute spells or when you do start a game you you know you can see it, that a player is trying too hard to impress um, you know, reminds me of Winks at the moment when he gets a game, you can see he's trying overly hard to impress. And sometimes that kind of things don't come off when you're trying to do that. So I would say a loan move would be good. He might, someone like PSG, you know, he could go get in that side, you know, especially with Neymar's injury now. They might even more look for someone like him. And then hopefully we can get back the player that we think there. But there's definitely an issue.
0: Okay, so that draw at Selhurst Park meant that Liverpool were ready to pounce and take top spot for themselves. However, the Real Football Cast Alliance was in full effect as Fulham turned in a very impressive performance against the champions. So Matthew, going back to you, is the submerged tanker, which was the start of Fulham's season, just starting to turn in the right direction now?
3: It, it absolutely is, and I think I've made this podcast. I made this point on the podcast before. The because of the short turnaround we had from winning the playoff final to the start of the season, we more than any other, not any other club, but more than most clubs, didn't really have a true preseason. So we didn't have those games to get everything right and oh, can we you know tweak the formation or who works best in a partnership with who sort of thing. So. That was so, if you really want to sort of analyze it that way, the first five or so games of the season were our pre season games when we were trying to work something out. Ever since that, though, ever since you know, I was doing the mass on this, we lost to um, Hounslow Town in the league cup. We basically, we basically <laughs> turned the corner. Now that, now that we've got everything down to, you know the fact that we've got Bobby Deckard over Reed playing at right wing back, which nobody saw coming. Ivan Caviero, traditionally a winger, now playing as a centre forward, nobody saw that coming. But now that Scott Parker's had a chance to you know, work with the players and imprint what he thinks is the best philosophy going forward. You know, even if the results haven't been there, you know, you know, as I said earlier, you know, we lost to Man City in a draw with Liverpool on the, you know, on the scale of it. That's that's not all that good. But the performances have been superb in the past couple of weeks. So all the doom and gloom and, you know, Jamie Carragher after the Villa defeat, which I think maybe our third or fourth game of the season where he said, no, Fulham are going down. I've never been more certain of anything in my life. Yet yeah, he may st- he may still end up being right. But we're in a position where we're going to give a much better fight of things than we were earlier in the season. So that's
0: really all you can ask for. So, Carl, the obvious angle here is that Liverpool were poor, especially in the first half. But if we're honest, that does Fulham a huge disservice because they were very quick out the blocks. And were it not for Alisson, Fulham could have been in a very comfortable position at half-time
2: yeah they were playing well in weren't they you know they you know managing to get themselves in behind liverpool's defence um and as you say you know it, this wasn't just a case of liverpool didn't show up on the day you know fulham played really well um and obviously, you know, took a great point for them that they'll sit there, you know, and that, that could be a point come the end of the season that's vital. And, and it's a performance that, for me, gives Fulham, you know, a lot of confidence now to say, well, listen, we've now played, you know, the best team in this league and um, we've gone toe-to-toe with them and, you know, been unfortunate not to come away with all three points. And I think that's a kind of performance that you'd like to think a team can build on. And, you know, it could just be that one performance that triggers a great run just have to try and make sure they don't follow that up now with a poor performance in the next game and kind of lose all that momentum. But this definitely wasn't just a case of Liverpool not turning up and not giving Fulham enough respect. They did. And Fulham kind of took them as close as they could.
0: Well, I don't know if it's early enough in the season or late enough in the season, but it could be a six-pointer at home to Brighton in midweek. But we won't get to that. We'll get to Max now because we need to focus on Liverpool and just why they were so sluggish in that first 45.
4: So what did you make of their lackluster showing before the break? Yeah, it was it was a bit weird. They they looked off color. You know, they didn't really look like the Liverpool that we know and don't love very much. Um, they they had a lot of they had a lot of they had a lot of players out, obviously. But then you know you could say the same for for a lot of teams in in this division who are who, who are performing all right. So you know, I'm not I'm not really sure what was behind it. They. On paper, they had Alisson returning in goal, who's obviously a big step up from Adriane and uh, Quivin Kelleher. They they had Alexander Arnold coming back in for Neko Williams, which is obviously a big step up. And they had Matip and Fabinho fit, who are you know obviously not their first choice centre backs, but they're the the pair that they're turning to. Obviously, Matip m- might now be injured, um, and they had their and they had their front three out. So it seemed it seemed really odd that they were that they were so off colour. Maybe it is fatigue. But then, as I was saying in my in my rant about Jürgen Klopp last week, it, he's undermining himself by playing loads of first-team players in that meaningless, dead-rubber uh, Champions League match. It was just absolutely bizarre. And then, you know, Jota, who played 87 minutes in, again, I'll say again, uh, a meaningless, dead-rubber Champions League match, 87 minutes he played Jota, Jota then got injured. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. And then... And then we're obviously seeing lots more players uh, coming out. But yeah, I, I think it would really be a disservice to Fulham um, to say, to, to, to talk too much about Liverpool because Scott Parker seems to have finally worked out his best team, his best formation. And he does seem to have a couple of kind of square pegs and round holes in terms of Dick over reed at wing back and Loftus-Cheek out wide a little bit and then Cavalera up front. But he's obviously worked out that that's... The most effective formation and the most effective players, and that was proven against Liverpool because they were well worth the draw. So, Cole,
0: there are a couple of referee flashpoints. Actually, I think there were three. So let's have one each. You can have Mo Salah's appeal for a foul in the build-up. Sorry, in the build-up to Fulham's goal. So, is that a case
2: of his reputation starting to go before him? I think so. Yeah, you know, you start to see these theatrical dives, you know, and and when, you know, they get highlighted now, don't they even more with social media? Uh, And then obviously, you know, VAR kind of highlights a lot more things to to referees. So you do believe that, you know, there is a time where refs suddenly do think, well, yeah, but this guy has a reputation for going down easily. Uh, And I think it has cost him there. Um, And unfortunately... You know, if if you are going to keep going down in the theatrical way you do, then sometimes you won't get decisions, even when maybe there are times when you should. But it's something he will have to look at and maybe think, you know, is this going to hurt me in the long run? Because we know it can. You know, I'm sure we'll probably see the same thing now with the hoo-ha over Harry Kane uh, and the way that he's so-called he does his signature move. I'm sure... you know at Anfield um, in the week if that happens the decision goes completely against Harry Kane because of the way it's been built up over over the course of social media and, and in the press so yeah players do have to be careful with that
0: So Matthew as subjective as possible what was your take on the decision not to award your lot a penalty after Fabinho's tackle if we're going by the framework of VAR and clear and obvious was it not clear and obvious enough to overturn such a decision?
3: Yeah, personally, I'm quite happy with the fact that... Well, no, but I I understand why the penalty call wasn't overturned. I think it's one of these where the wording of the situation needs to be you know fully understood. And the referee gave a corner to, to start with. And it's one of those... Because you can see in one of the angles, the one behind the goal, you can see that he does... the Fabinho does get the ball. Whether or not it's like minutely before he touches Cavallaro's leg, we... There's still a little bit of, you know, still a bit up in the air on that. So if, no, even I am personally not 100% convinced that he managed to get the ball first or get the man first. So in that instance where the referee is not 100% sure, you know, if this is what we believe happened, if he's not 100% sure that Fabinho got uh, caviera 's leg before he got the ball, then he can't overturn his decision. It's one thing, you know, clear and obvious, you know, not enough to overturn. And the initial decision, like in cricket, the initial decision is crucial because you've got to overturn it rather than, you know, rather than sticking with it. So, and in the end, we only scored about like two minutes later afterwards. So in the grand scheme of things, not a big deal for me.
0: I think it's the correct answer. Now, Max, I was going to ask you about the Liverpool Penalty Award, but I think that's quite open and shut. So I've got a more interesting question for you, actually. Do you think football fans in general are guilty of falling into the trap that contacting the box automatically means a penalty? And sometimes that isn't the case. So do we sort of sometimes think just because some um, someone has clattered in somebody else or there's been a touch somewhere, it automatically needs to go to the spot? Do we need to, do we need to get away from that mindset sometimes?
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, occasionally, you'll see managers coming out after the match and... Um, let's just give an example of Liverpool and United who seem to get a lot of decisions like that um, when when Liverpool or Man United forwards go down Klopp and, and Solskjaer would typically come out and say oh well there was contact and then kind of have a full stop after that sentence as if contact in the box automatically necessitates a penalty um, obviously football is a contact sport contact does not mean a penalty sometimes it does um, but the fact that there's contact doesn't automatically mean um, that it's a penalty and I think yeah fans should get away from saying, oh, well, there was contact, so it must be a penalty. Um, sometimes contact doesn't mean a penalty. For example, you could have two players running into the box together, uh, shoulder to shoulder, 50-50, fair contest, and the attacker goes down from the impact and it's not a foul at all. Um, and there are lots of other examples like that. But yeah, I, I don't think contact necessarily equals um, equals a penalty. Good shout. Right. Yeah,
3: I kind of can, sorry, yeah, can yeah. on I on that well, I know it's a point that gets brought up whenever, you know, if someone, if it's like a penalty. And there's contact in the box and the penalty's not awarded. Some, there are some fans who are guilty of, well, if it's not a foul, then it's a dive and you've got to give them a yellow card the other way. Yeah. There are some instances where, you know, it can not be a foul and also not be a dive in the same, in the same situation. There is that little bit of grey area in in some of them. I just want to add that, add that to the point. No,
0: that's a very good addition. I appreciate that, Matthew. So, of course, let's go to the other slip up at the weekend. Chelsea, they lost to Everton, Cole. And with the Blues hitting the post twice, that's the away team, the Blues. Do you think they were unfortunate not to come away with at least a point?
2: Um, yeah, I'm not so sure. Um, you know, I felt Everton kind of, you know, were reasonable value, but then Chelsea, you know, Reece James had a good couple of efforts, didn't they? You know, Pickford made a couple of good saves. They've hit the post. I think Chelsea will probably feel aggrieved not to have got something out of that game. But then I don't think that just means that, you know, Everton were just poor. I mean, Chelsea had a lot of the ball, but I don't think they did as much with it as they would have liked to have done with the ball. You know, it's no good having all that possession, you know, when lots of it is sideways and kind of not really being hurtful to the other team. You know, Everton had just as many shots as as Chelsea on the day, as many shots on target. So, I think Everton were reasonable value, but Chelsea will obviously feel aggrieved they didn't get something out of that game. And they will obviously look at that as being, you know, a a massive step back in their progress. Because, you know, that is a momentum stopper um, that they would have liked to think they should go there the way Everton, And obviously hadn't been picking up points before that. Um, But Everton and Goodison Park is a tough place to go. So, they would have liked a point but the defeat is not the, is not the direction Frank would have been wanting to take that side in that day. But were they unlucky? I'm not so sure. I think they probably should have played a little bit better.
0: Right, Matthew, we need to talk kazoo, because I run the show on my own last week, and with no official kazoo being played, we're in a bit of a grey area here, so we could say the date has been compromised somewhat. Also, there's, yeah. a, there's a midweek oh. game in the way, so are we going to reference the kazoo for the Leicester game? or whoever they play at the weekend, which I haven't done my research for. So what do we do with Kazoo?
3: yeah we should probably we should probably address this um, because of the complications around what happened last week I'm sure Dan explained everything I did put in the um, in the group chat where we discuss all these things I said that last week would have been pro kazoo kazoo <laughs> would have been played last week however because this wasn't an official podcast and wasn't an official request I say we call it a semi kazoo because if you notice Donald yes. Calvert Lewin played a big part in getting the winner because like of the game he was I the like it tackle. so I say semi kazoo helpful therefore i say the record maintains intact that's just me though no Um, i I agree i like it in in regards to the upcoming one um i think we probably should go on uh logical so who have they got it's they've got leicester tomorrow night as re-record um i think that'd be a bit of a tricky one for them and then on the weekend it is. I've just got to flick through the flick through the schedules uh, afterwards. Who have they got? Someone, please tell me. They've got Arsenal. Now I know what you'll be wanting for the Arsenal game, so we'll get. So we'll do that. But I shall. God, I do feel like I'm a judge <laughs> in control of a lot of things. In this. But you know what? I think I think Leicester have been quite good defensively recently, so he's going to need the boost. So for Leicester. And ahead of uh, Dan's least, Dan and Carl's least favourite team to go against, I will say he scores against Arsenal. So, so two, kazoo's kazoo. for Ka- two kazoos for Calvin
0: lewin Wow. Right, OK. It could be a goal bonanza for Calvin lewin this weekend. It was also a goal from the penalty spot for Everton this weekend, Max. So, what did you make of the decision? One that came from a rush of blood from
4: Chelsea's Edouard Mendy. Yeah, it was. It was, it was very un- unlike Edouard Mendy based on the start that he's made. Um, but I thought Calvert-Lewin did really, really well. I mean, obviously, it was a, a definite penalty, but I thought Calvert-Lewin did really, really well because he he almost headed it to himself. So he, he's obviously got up above um, Thiago Silva in the air, which is n- no mean feat. But then he's got back down after that impact and then sprinted into the box to get there first. And, yeah, Mendy's just had a bit of a rush of blood, wiped him out, um, a definite penalty. And it just shows the... The, the kind of physicality and, and athleticism and anticipation of Calvin lewin that he's able to to get on the end of it, having flicked it on himself. is almost like playing a front pair and both of them are Calvin lewin um, And on the kazoo front, I'm really disappointed you, you've given him the double kazoo because I've obviously taken him out of my <laughs> fantasy football team this week. So guaranteed points to all my mates who have him. So cheers for that.
0: Right. With all those three dropping points, teams had to profit elsewhere. And the main profiteers were Leicester and Southampton. We'll get to the Saints in a moment. But Cole... This was a win for Leicester that was wrapped up within the first 45. Quite the first half masterclass from the Foxes.
2: Yeah, they were were clinical, weren't they, in that first half? And like, as you say, you know, when you get the job done that early, then it does mean that you can kind of just take the foot off the gas a little bit in the second half. Um, You know, you don't want to do that entirely, as we found out earlier in the season. But I think, you know, the way they played, that I don't think... Once that half-time came, there was only one winner in that game. But Leicester in that first half, and especially Madison himself, were very impressive. And, and now if they keep that kind of form going, then they still will be there or thereabouts, chasing for top four come the end of the season.
0: Matthew, Jamie Vardy scored his tenth for the season on Sunday, but I want to focus on the man who scored twice, that man being James Madison. So he's getting back to full fitness and, more importantly, getting back to best form.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, Leicester are a team that don't have the greatest strength in depth. They have some, but if there's one team, and especially on the amount of on the amount of fronts they're competing on this season, they are going to have to rely on you know the main core of the squad to do to do most of the heavy lifting. It's a lot. They're not like Liverpool or Man City. You have who have you know, world-class players at their disposal on the bench to go to. So having a player like James Madison step up for them will be absolutely crucial for them. You know, I don't know what their aims are for this season, You know, after having finished in the Europa League, Europa League spot last year, whether or not that's, you know, that's their aim or if they want to step forward. But whatever it is, someone like James Madison is going to be key to that. So the fact he's getting back to full fitness is just crucial for them.
0: I think if you were to ask a Leicester fan, they're probably looking at a genuine tilt at the Europa League There's no reason why they can't. And also, the top four after such disappointment. And with the season being as it is already, it's not outside the realm of possibility. There's still a long way to go, of course. And they're not as home and hosed as they thought they were at this point last season. But, you know, I think nothing's off the table for Leicester. Put it that way. Even the Premier League. You know, it's not outside the realms of possibility either. So, Max, I know you'll take absolutely no joy in talking about a Brighton defeat, but... That's quite a mauling. And the relegation zone is getting a little bit close for them now, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it is. I, I think we're, we're maybe getting beyond the point where we can start calling them, you know, kind of plucky and, exactly. and brave losers who, who who play well. Because if you keep on losing, that is the bottom line. You can't say, oh, well, you know, we, we played well in patches or we passed it around nicely. If you keep losing, um, it's kind of irrelevant how you play. And you're right. They are getting closer to the relegation zone now, which is fantastic for me as a Ballas fan. Um, a, a lot of a lot of are being employed here, but um, as as much as I do like Graham Potter personally, and I like his ambition, I like the kind of signings he's trying to make. Um, as an outsider, I like the, the the signings he's trying to make for the for the club, and I like a lot of uh, players that Brighton have. But it's not seemingly clicking for them at the moment. Um, you know, they're not sure who their number one striker is. They're kind of flip-flopping between Connolly and Morpay and and Welbeck. They're not sure whether, um, who, who their best centre-backs are. So they dropped Webster at the weekend. They put Dan Byrne in. Veltman's been in and out a little bit. Um, so I'm not sure he knows what his best team is. There are a lot of changes and maybe that lack of kind of consistency in team selection is hampering them a little bit. OK, so the other team to profit massively this
0: weekend was Southampton. And Carl, with the Saints lying fourth in the table in December, we're now at the point where you can't really say it's a fluke or the table's in an early state of flux. The Saints really are in the position they're in because of merit.
2: Yeah, they're, they're playing really well, aren't they? You know, And they even went through the little stage where we all wondered how they'd get on with when Ings was out injured for a few weeks. But they kind of came through that as well as they had done with him in the side. So... You know, they were very dominant this weekend, weren't they? You know, I mean, to be honest with you, I know it's a good time to play Sheffield United, but they really took them to the sword. Um, and, and, you know, when you look at the shots, you know, 16 shots on sixteen shots during the game, 69% possession, you know, that is a dominating performance. Um, and it isn't, a, you know, it isn't a fluke no more. You know, this is a good side that that are here to stay. I guess the only thing that, again, like Leicester, you kind of think if they suffer a couple of injuries, you know, they've got a great 11 at the moment, it seems to be working. Is there much depth, you know, beyond, you know, if you take, you know, some of those, you know, Ward-Prowse out for a, for a long run or something like that, have they got the players who can step in and do it? But while they've got that first 11 fit, they're definitely a match for anybody at the moment. And the way they're playing... They'll take some stopping. They are a very good side and, you know, full credit to them after what happened last season and that 9-0 victory. You know, I think everyone thought the right was on the wall for Southampton and they have just come back to kind of, you know, shove it down everyone's throat and, and turn the tables on everyone. So you've got to give them full credit. They are playing fantastically.
0: Matthew, when talking to myself last week, I said that Southampton may be in a better position to do a Wolves than Wolves themselves. So is Europe a genuine target for the Saints?
3: I think it is. And, you know, all this talk, whenever a team like Southampton or Wolves, you know, gets towards, you know, fifth, sixth, fourth in the table, it's always under the caveat that, you know, it's because one of the the, the bigger teams has had a bad season and that's opened up. You know, like when Leicester went on and won the league, it was because, you know, Spurs, Chelsea, United, all of them had bad seasons. And... Given the way the things are going on with the rest of the with the rest of the league, you know, the likes of Man United and <laughs> Arsenal, um, it's not out of the realms of possibility that one of the, you know, Europa League I think Champions League might be a uh, tough, uh, you know, a bit too far ahead of them. But you know, fifth, sixth, seventh is absolutely up for grabs for a team for a team like Southampton. But again, this is under the caveat that say Arsenal don't suddenly suddenly sort themselves out and Man United are inconsistent throughout the season, so they finish like an eighth or ninth sort of thing. So it is possible, but they will have to rely on other teams being bad to to help them out. And Max, how many
0: different ways can we discuss Sheffield United this season? I feel like I've asked you the same question. It's almost like Groundhog Day, just more woe for Chris Wilder. One point now from 36. Now loyalty is commendable in football. There's nothing wrong with that. We almost wish there was more of it. But at this point, you
4: almost think the Sheffield United board aren't helping themselves anymore. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I think they should stick by Wilder. Really? He's, yeah, I do. I do. And I think they could well go down. You know, they could well be down by Christmas, um, which is obviously only two weeks away. But, in in you know, if they if they lose their next five or six games, they could be getting to the stage where it's almost in, all but mathematically impossible to, to get themselves out of trouble. But I think the work that he's done there um is, is is such a credit to him and and a credit to the and a credit to the to to the to, to the coaching staff he has to the to the setup he's got there. I would definitely trust him to um I would definitely trust him enough to stay with him even if they go down and I'd trust him to get them back up again. Like Burnley did with Sean Dyche, like West Ham did with uh, Sam Allardyce if I remember correctly. Um or maybe that was Newcastle with Allardyce. Um, but I would definitely back him to to do a, to do to, to be the best person uh, at that club at this time. And yet, the former has been pretty terrible. Um, but, you know, we've talked about some of their deficiencies in the past. Obviously, they've struggled without Dean Henderson. Jack O'Connell's been a huge loss. Um, their goal-scoring woes are pretty well documented as well. But I would stick by him. OK, then, Carl,
0: if we use that opinion from Max, there's all... You know, it's all very well having sort of a sticking by a manager who sends a club down, you know, not on purpose but will be in charge of a team that gets relegated. Usually they're sort of more noble relegations where they've had a really good go at it and just fallen short. Chelsea United aren't even falling short, they're just massively short. Like I say, one point from thirty six, is that too much of a distance to sort of say, you know, yes, we can keep you on? You know, is there not really enough credit being done this season? I know he's done a great job in the past to keep him going long term.
2: I think you got to look at it, you know. I mean no one expected this sort of drop-off, did they? You know, the first, the way they played the first season, you kind of felt okay. There might be a drop-off, but it may be that they're kind of more mid-table, um, and in the you know top of the lower half. So nobody, I think, saw this kind of drop-off coming. I think there's enough in the bank. I think when you consider the promotion and then the first season in the Premier League, um, I think there probably is enough, you know, if you like loyalty and and feeling in the bank to give him, you know, the rest of the season and then potentially see if if they go down, can he get them back up? I guess it will really all depend on the sort of performances between now and the end of the season. We saw, you know, in little fits in that second half, the perform you know, the, they started to play some of the way that they'd played last season. So I think that's gonna be the key thing now in this for Chris Wilder. If he can start to get them playing, you know, some of that football again they were playing last season and they do end up making a bit more of a fight of it coming the end of the season, then I think they'll stick with him. If they don't and they really do go down without a fight and then, you know, the start of the second season doesn't look great, then I don't think they'll stick stick with him too much longer before they feel they probably need to make a change. But I think there's enough in the bank to kind of get him through this season and give him a shot at kind of help, you know, let, getting them to return if they go down.
0: OK, then, Matthew, you're the Sheffield United chairman. You've got a very itchy trigger finger at the moment. You've pulled the trigger. Who are you getting in as a potential
3: replacement? Ooh, that's a, tr- that is a, that is a tricky one. Um, I, I'm just disappointed. Just I am sort of, I am sort of with Carl on the, on the whole point is I would, I would stick with him. But if you put me in that situation, yeah, let's role play. Um, I think, it, I think it has to be, I think it has to be someone to get them out of the championship rather than to stay in the premier league, because I don't, I don't see with one point. I think that's an impossible job for anyone, for anyone to keep, to keep them in. So I think it has to be someone, you know what I say, Eddie, Howe. I don't, I don't, I don't think he'll do enough to keep him in the Premier League. I think they are done. But when it comes to Championship managers, I think he's probably he'd probably be your best bet. And the fact he's available right now, you don't have to go and you know buy someone out of a contract sort of thing. I th- I think he'd be I think he'd be the first one first one on my list. And. He's not a, you know, firefighter, you no, know, quote-unquote yep. bad football person like an Allardyce or a Pulis or a Pearson, say. Eddie Howe is someone that plays, you know, nice, attractive football. And, you know, it wouldn't be too much of a culture shock to the Sheffield United team who have, you know, built up quite a nice style of play under Chris Wilder. So that's who I'd go for.
0: Good shout. So, Max, we're 12 weeks into the season at the time of recording. Not one Premier League manager has been sacked yet. Has Covid
4: offered something of a free pass this season? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I was reading something uh, earlier about about how how maybe the lack of fans has contributed to uh, to, to managers not being not being sacked so quickly. And you know, you talk about the the kind of pressure that that is put on boards and you know people at the at the top of uh, at the top of clubs. Um, a lot of that comes from the fans, and a lot of that comes from fans being there and being openly and loudly and vociferously against the the current manager. You know, they might boo a sub. They might boo um, after a bad pass or something. They might boo after the team concedes a goal. And obviously, that is something that's very viscerally um, putting pressure on on the board to, to to make a decision. You know, the the, the cliche is that the opposition fans will, will sing you're getting stacked in the morning. And a, as a chairman, uh, you can't help but think about it. You know what I mean? So I definitely think that... Um, it's one of those intangible um, It's one of those intangible things that ha- not having fans in grounds has definitely helped the likes of Solskjaer United, for example, um, because he-, he would have been getting booed, boo- booed off the pitch and the players would have been getting booed off the pitch in a lot of games that they've played this season. And maybe that has contributed to um, no managers being sacked yet. So another team that could get relegated is Arsenal.
0: And, Carl, just when you thought we couldn't get any worse... It got a lot worse as they lost to Burnley, and
2: now they're seemingly losing their heads as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I'd like to, I'd like to say their form kind of worries me or disappoints me. If anything it's the opposite, um, it's quite nice for us, you know, been in their shadow a long while. Um, but they are a club that do seem to be in crisis at the moment, aren't they? And you know, and each week they seem to be moving off into a new one. Um, You know, you've got players there that just, you know, you kind of sort of wonder, you know, how long can you stick uh, with these players? You know, people like Zaka, you know, how long are you going to stick with a player that constantly does the sort of things he does in that game, loses his head, doesn't do as he should do? that we 'll probably come on to it in a minute i don 't know how they never had another man sent off in that game for what would you could just say if Zaka was being sent off i don 't see how you don 't the other guy from the corner doesn 't get sent off as well for the attack on the Burnley player as he 's trying to make a run. Um, they are just in chaos at the moment, um, and you kind of get the feeling that you don 't see a turnaround coming anytime soon. that is a worry for them. You know, you've got Ozil putting tweets out during the game saying, "Oh, do you know, do you need any help?" Um, <laughs> you know? and it's just a mess, isn't it? Um, how long will they stick with Arteta? That will be an interesting one because if that form doesn't pick up in the next few weeks and after Christmas, they're still lounging around at that fifteenth, sixteenth place. You would imagine that the board might start to think, "Hang on, you know, do we need to change something up here?" But are you, you, know, it's just a club in crisis at the moment then.
0: Matthew, in terms of the post-match presser, Arteta was in that kind of mood where he said everything and nothing at all. You know, very sort of short one-word answers and all that. So it seemed, though, he's not going to be as harsh with Xhaka than he was Pepe. Because when Pepe got sent off a couple of weeks back, he was saying it was a disgrace and all that. Didn't use that same terminology this time around. So what kind of message does that send to the rest of the squad? Um, perhaps
3: the main. I'm trying to work out if it's yeah, if is more important, therefore he doesn't want to throw him under the bus because he wants to keep him around, yeah. or he's less important, so he he just doesn't care at this point. Mm. If Xhaka gets sent off, yeah, it's it's a minor thing. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to go it. It's one of those two things. I can't. I can't work out, but I think given what happened with Xhaka last year, I would probably lean towards the the latter and say if Jack if Jacques leaves the club after that and after throwing the armband on the floor, I'd say. I'd say he's on the chopping block, so I'd say less important. But I do think this is also a case of Arteta it might just be, you know, somewhat out of his depth as manager, and he's just maybe he's just resigned to that fact. Because your first job in management shouldn't be having to turn around, you know, one of the one of the biggest clubs, you know, in England and arguably world football. And it's just proven to show with some of the players that he's got and he's had, having to deal with, like, like the idiocy of Xhaka, for instance, then, yeah, it's, I think it's, I think it, it does show a little bit of dead man walking, if I'm being brutally honest.
0: So, talking of their squad max, Thief Pro named their 55 best players of the year in the week. Not one Arsenal player was in that list. Now, this is going to sound a bit harsh, but is it fair to say they've got no
4: world-class players within their ranks at the moment? Um, I think that might be a little bit harsh. I'll... I don't think many. I think there are many that are knocking on the door. To be honest, um, I think probably Aubameyang, but I, I don't know when the when the parameters of the award are. But obviously, since his, his new contract, um, or maybe since the start of the season, I don't know if it's fair to link those two things. Um, but he's been in terrible form. I would say, g- given how he performed last year, he, he's got a claim to being um, world class Aubameyang. But I, I really can't see anyone else in that in that squad who's who's up there. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's probably a fair decision. They they can't um, argue too hard about that. Okay, so Carl, if we use our own club, Tottenham, as a point of reference, and
0: Poch's arrival almost straight away, he started using a collection of kids, let's say Kane, Bensleb, Mason, and reap rewards quite quickly. So why do you think Arteta has been
2: hesitant to not do largely something similar at the Emirates? It's interesting, isn't it? You know when. I think as well, what we saw when Poch came in, didn't he, was he wanted to get rid of all the troublemakers early doors. And, and then you now sort of think, well, I don't see why Arteta now, you know, he's given it a go. But I think you would have the right now to say to players like Zaka and, you know, some of those players who are, are not putting the shift in that they should do, well, listen, you know, I tried to give you a go. You keep doing things like you've done this weekend that don't help the situation. So I'm going to go in another direction because you know, Arteta's got to look after himself here. You know, it, he won't get no support from them. You know, they'll frame under the bus as quickly as they like if it, if it gets them off the chopping block. So, I kind of think Arteta now, you looking at the way they're playing, I would be tempted to make some changes and go in a new direction and see where you get with that. I guess he's gone in and obviously felt he wanted to put the arm around the shoulder, see if he could get the best out of those players that are there. You know, you do see sometimes, you know, players like Zaka can put in good performances, but he just, you know, it just constantly keeps doing these stupid things. So I do think you have to get to a point where you go, listen, I've tried to stick with you. I've tried to give you a run and see if, you know, things can change. They're clearly not going to. So I'm going to go off in a new direction now. And I wouldn't blame Arteta if he did that. And I think he may have to do that, but to potentially save his own skin. Because, like I say, if these sorts of performances keep coming, he won't last much longer in that job. So, Matthew,
0: you'll obviously be perturbed by Burnley's win, as that has taken them above Fulham in the table, out of the drop zone also. So, Obviously, it's irking you, but was that a Burnley performance of old on Sunday?
3: Yeah, absolutely, and it just goes to show, you know, as much as we question Sean Dyche and you know all the arguments, I think I've, I think i made it on this show and talking about, you know, just he's taken them as far as they can go. They just pull up and they just do have those occasions where you think, yeah, there there is something, there is something good about this team, and you know, I don't think, I don't think it will become a regular performance beating, you know, top six, top top six sides. Or, or at least perceived top six sides. Um, but yeah, it's still pretty good. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not overly fussed because I, I'd, in the relegation battle, I expect us to go down anyway, so I'm quite happy. Well, not quite happy, but I won't be disappointed if we get relegated because I because I expected it to go down this way. You know, I'd much rather enjoy the schadenfreude of, you know, not just because, you know, you, you and Carl are good friends and, you know, all the Tottenham angle. I don't particularly like Arsenal. So if their season implodes at the same time, uh, Fulham's season implodes as a result of Bernie's result, I'm not going to be all that fussed.
0: <laughs> i love to hear it. So, Max, if we ask about how low Arsenal really can go, I mean, relegation is probably a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit fanciful. Never say never, but let's assume they do stay up. Is Arteta nothing more than a sitting duck until the end of the season? Almost a poison chalice, if you will. Or are the ball going to look at Southampton and say, well, they stuck with Harstenhutel after a 9-0 thrashing to Leicester. Is there inspiration that he can write things out and do something similar
4: next season? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He, he, there's, there's only the chance of doing that. And that you could also look at Solskjaer because United um, are obviously another big uh, English club with a lot of history and a lot of pedigree and an expectation of, of winning trophies. And they're also in a bit of a of a difficult position with a with a pretty bloated squad and they're overpaying a lot of average players and you know probably not been not been helped too much by by agents um in, in the last ten or twenty years. Um, and Solskjaer, whatever you think of him, I think generally United have improved under his tenure and they're going, albeit very slowly, in the right direction. That's not to say there aren't kind of big or deep seated um, uh, ingrained problems at United, which are still yet to be solved. Um, but definitely, I think Arteta has the, has the capability that there is the possibility that Arsenal can be improved in the way that Southampton were and in the way that uh, Solskjaer has, to an extent, um, improved improve the club at, at United. To be honest, I'm not really sure what else Arsenal can do. I mean, you know, they might say, oh, well, you know, what if we get a big name? European boss who's been who who's a free agent at the moment. You know, I don't probably Pochettino wouldn't go to Arsenal, but Lucien Favre or they might want Nagelsmann from Leipzig or something like that. Um, But I'm not really sure what else Arsenal can Arsenal can do. They've got someone in who has got a very good reputation of coaching. um, When he was under Guardiola, Um, he understands the club. He's obviously played for the club at a pretty good level. Um, he's been pretty strong in his decisions, whether you agree with them or not. You know, he's ostracised Özil. Um, he spoke out against Pepe, not against Xhaka. Though. That was a bit weird. Um, but I'm not really sure who else could do a better job with uh, with the team that Arsenal have, because there's been a quite steady decline there for a long time, and now Arteta is kind of re- um, is reaping what what has been sown in the last decade or two.
0: Well, it does make you wonder that if Arsenal don't win the Europa League and they sort of float about the lower end of the table. That's another year without European football next season. A lack of finances, does that even worsen the problem in terms of trying to turn the squad around? This looks like the kind of job where it's going to take, I don't know, Carl, what, three, four windows to get any semblance of normality back in the team? Yeah that's
2: the trouble isn't it you know it's not something that's going to be done in one transfer window or even two you know i think you're looking at you know a, a long period and when you consider obviously with all the covid situation going on now clubs are not prepared to go and throw a lot of money around so you're not going to have a summer window or that where suddenly you go or january where you go and buy and bring in five or six players to change it all around and, and swing your season so it could take a little while to get this sort of, you know, change the players, change the mentality. Um, and, and that's a worry if you're an Arsenal fan, isn't it? Because it won't be a quick change around. Um, and, and they're a club that have got aspirations to want to try and be in the Champions League and push for titles. But that seems a long, long way off at the moment, unless it's the championship title, of course.
0: <laughs> right. OK, we've got about six minutes to go. So let's do the quick fire round. Where should we go first? Matthew, you've got Wolves versus Aston Villa. And is the lack of a focal point for Wolves going to be a real problem going forward?
3: Yeah, it is. I think I think we may discuss this when the whole Raul Jimenez um, incident happened. You know, and I and I think I may have said that they're a team that you know have an, enough quality around them uh, to be able to be able to cope. And let's be honest, Wolves aren't. It's, again, they're not challenging for the title, so they'll probably still be enough to get around seventh, eighth, night. So that'd be fine. But. I think the first, the you know, the initial showings at least uh, show that there may be there may be a little bit of a, a problem in there. Again, part of it will come down to how long we think Raúl Jiménez will be out. You know, if it's a, a, if it's a season ender, then maybe they get someone in on loan. If it's you know, God forbid. If it's a career ender like Ryan, like Ryan Mason had, then they may have to go out and buy someone. So I think these next couple of weeks and next couple of games will serve as a bit of a proving ground for them. You know, if they if results start to pick up, then they'll think they can probably get through it. If results start to you know keep the same and plateau a little bit and get worse, then they may start to think mm, we need to go and buy someone. So I think these next couple of weeks are going to be crucial to seeing what Wolves do in the transfer window.
0: Well, one name I saw linked with Wolves was Hulk, which. I think about five years ago would have been a great signing, but a ship has probably sailed in terms of what he can do. I mean, it's in the sort of list of like a Higain or a Falcao coming to the Premier League a little bit too late. But when you look at Fabio Silva and what he did against Villa, didn't do too bad. It was unfortunate not to score, but that's quite a drop-off from Jimenez, isn't it? There's a lot of reliance. And with Jimenez playing the way he does, it allows all those neat and tidy players to flourish so well. And you, you take Jimenez out of the team, and then you're sort of putting one leg behind the back of everyone else. So it's going to be difficult for Wolves, as you say, especially over Christmas, but also difficult, Carl, is Leeds. Are we all getting seduced by Bielsa? Because are they as good as we think they are, or as they think they are, when you look at their league position?
2: Yeah, I think we we obviously, you know, it is easy to get drawn in, isn't it? You know, this guy has got this great reputation around him and that. Um, and obviously, you know, he's got this demands that he puts on his players and the way he wants to play the game. Um they are a good watch, you know, there's no doubt about it. If You, you know, when you're going to go watch Leeds play, you know you will see an open and attacking game. I think it's just that case, isn't it, of maybe learning that, you know, you sometimes you might have to try and change things to get some different results. They'll be really disappointed with that result this week, you know, losing to West Ham at home because, you know, I'm not going to say that they, they'll they come into the league thinking they should beat these sorts of teams. But I think their home games against sides like West Ham that they'll feel are probably, you know, their level par with. They would like to think they're winning those games. Um, so that defeat would have hurt them. And they will just need to make sure that, you know, there are times where they might have to change the way they're going to play and the style they're going to play. But I don't think Bielsa is a guy who's going to do that. He's going to stick with how he thinks it should be done um, and, and see what happens. So it's an interesting season for Leeds. I think they will be one of those teams that they'll win a couple and we'll all think, yep, yeah, they've found their feet and then they'll go and lose a couple of silly games as well.
0: On the newly named Lookman penalty scale, I think Kilches was not as bad, but still a bit of a rotter. Obviously, quite lucky that the VAR saw a slight inf- encroachment from the goalkeeper off the line and all that. But we'll move on very quickly because, Max, you get Newcastle versus West Brom. A good win for Newcastle, two in a row now, especially after having such a depleted squad due to all things COVID.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I was maybe a little bit surprised to see uh, him name pretty much the uh, exactly the same kind of first team that had um, that had played before. I mean, obviously, I don't know who, who exactly was ill and in what kind of state they were in. But um, I... I um, I was I was really surprised to see him put such a strong team out, but obviously you know he's kind of cobbled them together based on based on who's fit and who's available. But yeah, considering they had such a difficult um, a difficult time with it, and you know it was going around like wildfire. And Steve Bruce was talking about the kind of emotional and, and mental toll of having to almost be a doctor rather than a, a manager or a coach, and you know ringing people up and, and seeing who who was positive and negative and. And all of that, um, in terms of COVID, and in terms of um, you know their mental state, it, it, it's, it's it's impressive that they've managed to to get a win there. And um, although it was only West Brom, um, West Brom have been playing better in recent weeks. Um, but a performance I, I wanted to touch on was uh, Joel Linton because I thought um, against Palace, as much as it pains me to say it, he he, he did pretty well, um, and he's you can always tell that he's been a, a pretty decent footballer. Um But he's just not a number nine striker, and he was literally given the number nine shirt um you know of shearer and and all the other players like that um and that long line of, of successful number nines at Newcastle, and obviously that weighed heavily on him because he's a young kid, and he's gone from from Brazil to Germany to the northeast of England, which is which must have been very difficult. Um, but basically, having signed Wilson, and now they've got a, a target man, a focal point, someone to play the number nine role up there. Linton is basically free to kind of roam about a little bit deeper. Um, a little bit wider, and that's where he played in Germany. He played on the on the right side of a front three, and so for him to have been chucked into the Premier League with everything that entails, and then chucked up front with all the goal-scoring expectations, he's now um, seemingly doing a lot better now that Wilson has that weight on his shoulders, and and that's been removed from Jolinton. And just just from a a neutral's perspective, I'm I'm pleased to see him. I'm pleased to see him doing well and linking up nicely, and and setting up Almirón for that early goal because. Um, it's good, to see, it's good to see a young kid doing well after after um, struggling with a uh, with price tag initially.
0: Right, Manchester derby, we're not even going to bother with. Not even worth any of our time. So, to finish, unfortunately, football's lost one of its good guys. And on Monday, Gerard Houllier passed after a long illness. Now, I don't think anyone in the game ever had a bad word to say about the Frenchman. So, Carl, just how good a manager was he with Liverpool at the turn of the millennium?
2: Yeah, he was great, wasn't he, for Liverpool? You know, he went in and suddenly took a side that, you know, had this great history but wasn't doing anything and suddenly put them back on the map again, didn't he? You know, they they went on a fantastic run of winning trophies, um, under him, and I think you've only got to see from kind of the the Twitter posts and you know the stuff being put out there by the likes of Jamie Carragher, who is saying that you know when this guy came in, he kind of changed the club, he changed me as a person. Um, and, the, you know, the, you can tell there's a real sadness and a love there for that man. And I think, you know, when you see stuff like that, it really goes to show you that he was brilliant. You know, I think lots of Liverpool fans will be really gutted because, like I say, he did have a spell with them where you kind of knew they could go and win trophies again. And they played some really good football. So he's a he's a great loss. Um, and I said all those, you know, the posts that people are putting out say all about him. Great man great loss um, and say Liverpool I'm afraid they've lost one of their one of their legends
0: yeah top words Carl much appreciated for that mate and on that note I need to do the admin and wrap up the show so it's as simple as thanking my three great guests on the penultimate episode of this side of the new year so a big thanks to Max thanks for your time this afternoon yeah thanks good to be back cheers buddy Matthew same for you also mate yep no problem anytime of course and Cole, the captain's armband is going nowhere I hope you'll be back next Tuesday
2: Yeah, definitely, Dan. Really enjoyed this, chaps.
0: Top man. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast and until next time, goodbye.